All right now, Revelations chapter 2. Uh, uh, we're still looking on Wednesdays about our study uh, of eschatology. Um, and it's, you know, it's the study of the last things or the end times or end days. Uh, and I want us to move into the book of Revelation now. And we understand that the book of Revelation uh, was given, or the Revelation, sorry, was given to John when he was exiled uh, to the Isle of Patmos uh, during a time of persecution of the church. He was there exiled uh, and he recorded his vision uh, for all of us to take, sto- uh, to take stock uh, and hold fast uh, of what Jesus wants to say to us. Uh, and we get the book of Revelation. And it's important because even in uh, chapter 1, verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed is he who reads uh, uh, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So it's interesting that we should take stock of this book. Uh, you know, we don't need to fantasize and, and, and just be obsessed with the, and be fearful of the last days. But we should understand what's going on because uh, the time is near. Can you say amen in this place? So we're going to look at the, the letters uh, that was written to the churches. Uh, you know, at the very big beginning of Revelation, John mentions that uh, the Spirit of the Lord uh, came upon him and uh, he started to see a vision and uh, Jesus was talking to him about seven particular churches in the Asian region. Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, Pergamos, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And Jesus uh, uh, wanted to write letters uh, to these churches. Uh, and these are churches in actual churches in history. Some people think that they are churches or a church age. It's an era, a point in history. But they were actually churches in history. Uh, but the point being is that they had application then, but they still have application to us right now. And that's the powerful thing about the word of God. They still, it still has application. It is living and we can apply it to our lives today. And it had a, a particular structure. Each letter was addressed to a particular church. It had an introduction or a description of Jesus Christ. It had a statement about the condition of the church. It had a verdict from Jesus about that condition. Then a command from Jesus, a general exhortation, and then a promise of reward. So I want to speak in a sermon I've entitled, uh, The Spirit Speaking, uh, The Loveless Church. Out of Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1, we're going to start here. The Bible says, uh, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and have not found them, sorry, and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered um, and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. This you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, who I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. First, I want to look with you um, 
he knows. Now we start the letter as uh, most of the letters uh, will be started with an introduction of Jesus Christ that he is describing or there's characteristics described in this letter. It says, uh, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now this links to Revelation chapter one where uh, John had a vision of Jesus Christ and he came holding seven stars and seven golden lampstands and Jesus said to him the mystery behind those the seven stars were the angels of the seven churches or the representatives or the overseers some commentators believe the pastors or the messengers of the seven churches they were the seven stars and the seven lampstands they are the churches themselves So Jesus holding the seven stars or the representatives in his hand is a picture of authority How many know this is Jesus' church? Can you say amen in this place? This church don't belong to me as the pastor. doesn't belong to any leadership. doesn't belong to any council or board members. The church belongs to Christ. And as he holds the church in his hand, it is a, a sign of authority, a sign of ownership. But it's also a sign of security. That in his hand, we can find safety and security. And that's the kind of link there. And also, the Bible says that he walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. When you walk in in the midst, it is an idea that Jesus needs to be central in his church. And the guys say it many times that when two or three are gathered together in their name, I will be in their midst. Jesus is saying that I am in the midst of people. I am right there in the central, although, or, or Jesus should be the central point of the church. And this is how Christ identifies himself when he writes the letters. Then he goes on to say, I know your works. I know your works. Jesus says, I know your works. In other words, there's things that we can potentially hide from people that we can't hide from Jesus. You can come to church and look like you are, you are in your part of the flock, look like you have everything going together, but Jesus said, I know your works. In other words, we people can look at you and be none the wiser that inside there's all sorts of malice going on. Inside there's bitterness going on. Inside, he's, Jesus says, I know your works. I can see through this. You know, it reminds me of a time, um, I used to work at Foot Locker back in the days when I was um, uh, at university. Uh, Foot Locker was, was like, a, it was like a celebrity job. If you worked at Foot Locker, you, you, like, you made it, right? I had, a, I had a couple of hours at Foot Locker. Uh, the discount was amazing. I used to get my paycheck and just spend it on trainers. It was madness. I was paying, I was getting paid in trainers, it felt like. But I remember working there and we met all sorts of people, all types of people would come in the shop. And I remember particularly these, these couple, um, it was um, some young mums and they had push chairs. And the babies was cute, man. The babies were so cute. The ladies were friendly and they were just cute and friendly. When they used to come in, everyone used to be, say hi to them. Some of the lady staff used to look at the babies, are oh, so cute, oh, all this stuff. Huh? But after a while, we started to notice when they come in and left, uh, some shirts were missing. And we looked at some of the displays, some jackets were missing. And we didn't think too much of it, but this happened over a number of weeks. They would come in so cute and so on and such. And again, when they left, we figure out some stock was missing. Then we say, hold up, let's, let's have a look at this. So we went back and looked at the CCTV camera. 
And as they're pushing the push chairs, they would would maneuver in such a way that we can't see them ripping the tags off shirts and stuffing them in the push chairs. The next time those people came in, listen, the baby weren't cute no more. Come on now. (laughs) Do you know why? Because I know your works. (laughs) I see you. So now when they step in, they're all smiling and stuff. None of us are smiling no more. Now it's like, I know what you've been up to. I understand you may look good, but I know your works. Jesus is saying, I know your works. You can come in, you can pull the wool over certain people's eyes, but Jesus says, listen, I know your works. Because sometimes people can look at the outside, but if we understand that it's God looks at the heart. Listen, when Samuel went to go find the next king of Israel, he goes to Jesse's house and says, bring out all your sons. He sees the first and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And he brings out all his sons. But what we see in 1 Samuel 16, verse number 7, Bible says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, I know your works. The Lord looks at people's hearts and he knows our works. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, I know your works. But he also said that about the good things that they did. He also knew the good works that they did. He commended them. He understood that they was also doing some good things. It wasn't just bad things they were doing. God sees the works that you do when they're good also. You know, in Matthew 6, verse number 3, Bible says, Listen, when you do a charitable deed, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In other words, even if it's good works, He still knows your works. You don't have to go and flaunt it and say, look what I did. I helped an old lady across the road. Look what I did. Look how much I gave to charity, gave in the offering. No, you don't need to do that. Why? Because he knows your works. He understands what you do. So Jesus says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved, um, so you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. The Greek word uh, used to translate patience there uh, is steadfast endurance. Jesus is commending this church for their steadfast endurance. He's commending this church for being steadfast in the good times and in the bad times. He says this church takes the rough and the smooth. It's a picture of faithfulness, that they're there all the time. You know, I find it amazing that I can come and walk through the doors of this church and there's some people I know I'm going to see tonight. There's people I know who have a faithfulness. I I just know I'm going to see them. If they're not here, it's like, what's happened? There's a a level of faithfulness. Jesus also mentioned that they have labored for his namesake and have not become weary. He knows their works. But the outward appearance is that this is a solid church. The outward appearance is that they worked hard. And the thing is, the church organization can produce some solid workers. It can produce some people who are faithful, who are steadfast. But then again, I say, Jesus says, I know your works. Because as he commends the church, I want to look secondly now about the first of As he commends the church, the good works that they do, he then uses a familiar word in Scripture. 
And it literally means uh, despite all of that. He uses the word nevertheless. Now to get a picture of that word, I want to give you some examples, okay? So I'm going to say a phrase. When I point my mic out to you, I want you guys to say nevertheless. And then we get an understanding of what the word actually means. So here we have a story story when Jesus told Peter to launch out into the deep so he can catch fish. Peter said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. At your word, I will let down the net. Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, he said, listen, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Thank you, Jesus. Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have, his own, have her own husband. How about this one? <laughs> Daniel's like, amen, God bless you. How about this one? Jesus was about to be arrested, crucified, about to be taken down to his death, beaten, stripped. He knew what was about to happen. And then he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup for me. Not what I will, but your will. So we understand, nevertheless, it means, yes, I've got this. However, despite all of that, we're going to do this. So Jesus is saying, listen, I know you are steadfast church. I know you work hard. I know you come every service dressed up in your tire. I know you come, you say you have this, you wear your crucifix. I know you do that. You may have been given the offering. I know you do that. But despite all of this, I have this against you. You've left your first love. What a message to receive from the one who knows your works. What a message to receive from Jesus Christ. He said, you've lost your first love. In other words, it's possible to work the routine of life, but do it without life, without love, sorry. It's possible to go through, we can get caught up in working for Jesus, that it overshadows our relationship with Jesus. Come on, people can be doing all sorts of ministry, but they have no connection anymore to Jesus Christ because they've lost their their first love. I call it the Martha effect. You know what I'm talking about in Luke chapter 10, where it says, now it happened, they went and Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into his house, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to come help me. Jesus answered and said, Martha, You're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Martha should have been consumed at the fact that the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, has turned up. And yes, we need to serve. Yes, we need to cook food and so on. But listen, let's sort out the first things first. Mary said, you know what? Jesus is here. I'm staring at his feet. Do what you're doing. I'm staring right here. They left their first love. Now, what was the first love? As Christians, we're called to love God and love people. So which did this church leave? Well, did they leave God? Did they leave loving God? Did they leave loving people? Well, it could have been both because they go hand in hand. 
See, 1 John 4.20 says, If somebody says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? So they go hand in hand, loving God and loving people, they go hand in hand. We can't say, listen, I love you, God, but there you're swearing at people, doing this to people, cheating people, lying people. Listen, where's the first love? The first love is a picture of a a thrill, you know, excitement. There's passion there. Where is the love? You know, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, you lose love and you lose it all. The Apostle Paul said, I will show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just making noise. You could do all that, all this display, this Christian display, but you've left the initial reason you became a Christian. Just remember, think yourself back to the time where you first experienced the presence of Jesus Christ and how you was and how you functioned, what it meant to you to tell someone about what you've experienced. Think about how excited you were to come into the presence of God. But now sometimes church becomes an option. I'll come if, 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 my, uh, if my soap is not on TV. I just want to finish this Netflix episode first and maybe I'll come next week. Listen, I'll come, but you know, they're offering overtime at work and you know how it is, Lord. What happened to the time where as soon as the doors are open, I'm there. You know, it reminds me of young couples dating. Come on now. The guy goes all out. Anytime he sees his girlfriend, he, he, not one hair is out of place. He makes sure he's got a sharp trim, got the fresh aftershave on, brushing his teeth twice, come on now, wearing the new white trainers, you know, paying for everything and so on. All that, when we're dating, it's just all there, everything's exciting. Your heart is beating. You say them bars, you know them ones that, oh, I've been thinking about you all day. You must be tired because you've been running through my mind all day. Come on now. Come on. You said them before. You said them before. I know you said those. Huh? huh? Come on. You, you, you use all your poetic language, all your love and so on. Come on. Chasing after. Some of you are writing that down, isn't it? Come on now. And then what happens is you culminate. It happens. It's all nice. The chase going on. You get married now and something happens. Now it's like I can't even say good morning. No more freshness, it's just morning breath. Yeah, yeah, morning. (laughs) What happened to the first love? What happened to the spark? Now listen, when you get married, I'm not saying it has to be exactly the same, but it must progress into something deeper. We can't just have that and just leave it. And this is what Jesus is talking about, the first love. What happened to the passion when we're serving God with such a passion that people around know that you have something different. And it's important to note that the difference between leaving and losing. Jesus said you have left your first love. He didn't say that you lost your first love. Because to lose it is like that can be done by accident. Leaving is intentional. When you lose something, you don't know where it is. When you leave, you know exactly where it is. You just don't want to go back there. Jesus said... I know your works. 
but you've left your first love. I want to talk about return and reward. You see, there's three steps when you finally understand that, you know what, I have left my first love. This has changed. There's three steps to coming back home. Remember, repent, and do. Say that with me. Remember, repent, and do. Three steps to coming back home. Verse number four of our text, the Bible says, you have left your first love. And number five, verse number five, it says, remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, before we go into the three steps, just talk about that consequence that right, right there. He says, I will remove your lampstand. You see, because the church is meant to be the light of the world. We're meant to be illuminating. We're meant to make an impact, meant to make a difference. We're meant to be a light in darkness. But he says, if you don't do these things, remember, repent and do, I'm going to remove the lampstand. And what that means is now there will be no difference between you and the world. There are some churches today, dare I say, listen, I don't like to do this sometimes. Just you do what you're doing, listen, I'm just going to make sure I serve God. But sometimes you've got to mention it. There are some churches today that you can't distinguish the church and the world. What's happened there is the lampstand has been removed. There's no more light. Now it's just darkness everywhere. You get people dancing on stage. You don't look no different than a Grammy Awards. You get people talking about stuff. It don't sound no different than a motivational speech. Because the lampstand has been removed. When the lamp is gone, the light is gone. It's just darkness. So the three steps. The first step to restoration is to remember. We've got to remember how it was for the young couple. Remember how it was when you're dating. You know, you know that's sometimes when I, when I counsel, if I counsel married couples and I see some, one of the things I tell them to do is remember what you did to get, to get married. Remember what you did when you was chasing it. Bro, you was chasing all day long. Remember, remember that chase. Women, you was, you was trying to put your best foot. Remember that. The first step to restoration is remembering how it used to be. You know, the prodigal son, he says, God, Father, give me all my, my stuff. I want to go and sell. You know, and the father was great. So fine, take your stuff. And we know the prodigal son took his inheritance early. He went and wasted it with prodigal living. And, and it was when he was in the pig pen. What did he do? The first thing he did was remember how it was. He was like, while he was trying to eat dust from the pig pen, he says, man, I remember my house, man. We used to have fried chicken, dumplings. There was some agussi soup. Come on now. Come on. We used to, there was some stuff going on back. And here I am in a pig pen. The first step to restoration was remembering. That's what we've got to do. We've got to remember how it was. Pinpoint the time where you had the experience with Jesus Christ. Pinpoint how you felt, how you was reading your Bible just to know more. And listen, if you don't have that experience, listen, you're going to have one tonight. Can you say amen? Remember how it used to be when you used to hear preaching of the word of God and used to just send shivers down your spine and used to, th- used to worship God with all that was in you. you. used to raise your hand when we're singing praise and worship. The praise and worship leader didn't have to beg you or twist your arm to get your hand up. You would just raise it. Remember how it was when you first met Jesus. When you first was transformed, when you were first set free from sin. 
You know, some of the guys in this church torment me with a word. They torment me when they say this word. You know who you are. They say, Pastor man, we used to do this. Pastor man, we used to pray all night. Pastor man, we used to do prayer walks. We used to walk around this city praying in tongues. We used to, we used to lay hands. Pastor man, there was a time we used to go on outreach every week. And as they're saying, they're tormenting me. I'm thinking, what changed? As far as I know, God is still the same. Jesus Christ is still worth worshipping. We need to remember how we used to serve God. And I know things have changed. You know, responsibilities have changed. You may, have, you be, you may be married now, whatever. You've got a job now and stuff like that. But listen, we need to understand the priorities. That yeah, things can change. But there should be more an intensity with our worship. An intensity with our evangelism. An intensity with our service of God. Because we understand who God is. Remember what it was like. First step. Second step. Repent. Come on now. And a repentance literally means a reform, a reformation, a change of mind or a change of direction. Repentance is, I was going this way and now I'm turning my direction to go this way. That's what repentance is. Repentance isn't saying I'm sorry or feeling sorry for myself or feeling guilty. No, repentance is, I was going that way and now I'm going this way. The second step is turn around. Repent. Make a decision to say, I'm not going to head down that road no more. I'm going to go back to my first love. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to my Bible reading. I'm going to go back to waking up early and praying and depending upon God. I'm going to go back to witnessing, telling people about the love of Jesus Christ, understanding the great commission, saying this is what I used to do. I'm going to turn back and go to where God wants me to do. The second step is repent. And finally, the last step is do Go back to basics. Remember what you used to do. Turn, change your mind, and then actually do it. Actually do it. Do the first works, the Bible says. And as we indeed do this, and we indeed go back to our first love, listen, there's a promise of God here. Verse number seven of our text, the Bible says, To him who overcomes... I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, you could have missed that, but that is phenomenal right there. Because what this is, is the original blessing from the Garden of Eden. He said, I'm going to restore the original blessing from the Garden of Eden. When he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life in the midst of the garden. They had that. But obviously with the uh, stain of sin, there was a separation and, and it moved. They were spiritually dead. They was banished from the Garden of Eden. And, but here Jesus Christ is saying, if you remember, if you repent and if you do, then I will restore you back to paradise. I will bring you back to the place where you were designed to be. I will give you that option to have or to eat from the tree of life. And don't you thank God that that tree of life is Jesus Christ. And we can have from the tree of life and have everlasting life if we remember if we repent and if we do and we go back to our first love and realize Jesus Christ is coming back soon I want to be found uh, having full of faith I want to be found doing what he calls me to do listen God is speaking to somebody here tonight maybe he's speaking to many of you here tonight because he wants you to come back to your first love don't let anything you do 
do for him, complete or overshadow the relationship with him. Make sure that it is genuine. Make sure that he doesn't say to you, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. Make sure you're not the one that says, Lord, I did this in your name. I did this in your name. But he is considered, he is concerned about relationship. Come back to your first love. Your first love. Don't let anything crowd that because the things that we use to crowd that are going to pass away anyway. And it's only when we come to the fullness of time, we step across that line of eternity and we realize the things that we crowded our lives with doesn't mean anything at all. You know, the parable of the sower that went out to sow seeds and the seed landed on different grounds. There's one particular ground that says uh, uh, that, that grew up with weeds and those are or the weeds or the tares. Those things, the Bible says, or Jesus says, uh, was the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It choked out the word. We can be choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We need to evaluate our life take stock of our life and say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming back to my first love. Come on now, who's with me in this place? Lord Jesus, I'm coming back to my first love. I'm going to come back. I want to come back home. I want to turn back. I'm going to remember. I'm going to repent and I'm going to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in this place.